Hey, Coffee Breakers. I'm AC. And I'm Scully. And we are back with you today for our True Crime Wednesdays. Um, Part two of The Girl in the Picture. Yes. And we're going to, it's a lot and it's complicated. So we are going to jump right in. So I left you guys last week with them finding out that Sharon had been kidnapped and there's no way, she was no way that she was Floyd's daughter when she had been kidnapped. So it's Fitzpatrick is the one talking during this time of the um, documentary and he, he states that he put a stop on all the aliases and when they did that, was it Louisville, Kentucky? Floyd had tried to renew a driver's license from Florida. Right. He, well, but he was in Louisville. Yeah, but it was one of the aliases he used in Florida. Yes, it was uh, the Marshall Warren. Warren. Okay. Sharon. Yeah, it was Warren Marshall. Warren when Marshall. When they were the Marshalls, that's what yeah. his name was. Warren Marshall. Yeah. Um, they were able to do that, and what they had to do was basically a sting. So they set out, I guess when they ordered the driver's license, it comes like in the mail, because that's how they, do, it has like a delivery person is the way they made it out. It was FedExed. Okay. So, or UPS, or something like that. One of the, like, delivery drivers. Yeah, was was an actual agent. Right. They had to do the positive ID, get him to take the license, and they took him into custody. Right. Um, they started talking to all the neighbors in the area where he was. They said they talked. He'd been there about six weeks, mm-hmm. and no one had ever seen Michael, like, at all, ever. Period. Whatsoever. Yeah. Um, it actually has one of the neighbors talk, and he's, like, kind of stuck to himself. Didn't really, like, associate a whole lot. They checked with his employer. Nothing. They also found when digging that there was a bus ticket to a, from Atlanta to Kentucky, but it was only for one person. Right. It shows them handcuffing. Uh, well, I guess he's already handcuffed in the documentary. He's walking past Floyd. Like, Floyd is handcuffed. And he says, I love something about his son. That he says, my son, love him very much. Hope they find him. Yeah. And I just thought that was Weird. What do you mean? Right. You're the last person with him. Right. What would you do with him? Right. He made all kinds of, when they asked him that, he made all kinds of allegations. Like, oh, I left him with a rich person. Um, I threw him off a bridge. I shot him in the back of the head. He's in a different country. Like, anything and everything that he could make up, he did. Yeah. And Fitzpatrick even says he he was convinced he was dead. Right. Like, he doesn't have anything to state that? No, but, but it's just like just, a gut feeling. Yeah. Um, he goes on trial. For the kidnapping of Michael. For the kidnapping of Michael. And it was interesting to me because the kidnapping itself had like five years. Yeah. And then because the carjacking and then the firearm offense with being in the school, I guess, with it, he had two, two firearm offenses. Yeah. That gave him 25 years. Yeah. So I thought that was just, you can kidnap. And get five years. Yeah. Yeah. Is that not a little crazy? That is a little crazy. Um, the district attorneys were worried that they were going to even be able to, like, what they would be able to get to stick to him. Right. Because they wanted to do murder 
for Michael, but, but there's no body. So they were saying like, there's going to be hard to make that stick because <clears throat> you don't really know. Right. Cause he could have legitimately given, just given him away. You can't prove it beyond a reasonable doubt that he killed him. Right. So that's when they went with, they know for sure he kidnapped. Yeah. We got he enough witnesses use, and all that. He did use a weapon during that and the carjacking. Mm -hmm. So we got him on all of that. We're just going to roll with it. Floyd wanted to defend himself. Yes. So they talked about how he was so aggressive. Like he wanted to be able to talk without getting on the witness stand. Right. So they said he would argue with the judge. He was just very, he would ramble and go off on these tangents mm -hmm. and just anything he could. Like, I, I truly think this man just enjoyed his own voice. Yes. Like he thought. He thought he was important. He is the textbook definition of a narcissist but on the really bad side yeah he really wanted just as much attention he was the best ever he did the best ever you know and yeah. he right. i really think he thought and i don't think he's dumb no but i think he truly felt like he was the most clever yes and that he would be able to somehow finagle this argue his way out of this yes yeah so jenna testifies and if y'all remember jenna, jenny Jenny, that's the friend from back in high school. Um, and she she very clearly says that she looked straight at him and said, you were her daddy. You were her father. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, you drew your opinion off me based off what the FBI told you. Is that not correct? And she was like, no, I based it off of the way you are. Like, yeah. from what I saw. Yeah. From the lingerie that you bought your daughter. Mm -hmm. And th she said that the his attorney, because they ended up doing a, a hybrid yes. representation, that his attorney just threw up her papers. It was like, whatever. whatever. Just can we convict him now? Yeah. So he actually got 52 uh, years. It says no parole for the kidnapping. Right. And in leaving, he straight up cussing everybody out. Yeah, he was very... Yeah, they showed the film of him walking out, and he's like, F you, and F you, and F you, and F the state. Yeah, anybody. And the horse you rode in on, too, basically. Like, he was very aggressive. Yeah. So then it tells you that they found the principal's truck. Um, and when they found the... This is the principal's truck that he had kidnapped, kidnapped Michael in. Mm -hmm. he, I guess they found it abandoned. And when they did... I got, got a whole full workup, and a mechanic actually was looking underneath, I guess, making sure what was there. I don't know what that does. I've never had a vehicle stolen. I'm assuming there's, like, a rundown because they probably turn around and try to sell or something. The documentary doesn't go into that. Okay. Well, we so don't know. we're not going to speculate right now. That will be in our deep dive episode. Okay. Well, um, they found the principal's truck, and taped under, is actually at the gas tank, was a like envelope full of pornography. 97 photos to include Sharon when she was small. Yeah, and it was mostly young girls, but yes. there was this packet of photos. Yes. That, and, go ahead. No, you go right. No, you go ahead. In the packet of photos, um, it was a bunch, like you said, a bunch of different. It was it, all girls, though. It was all girls. But mostly young, except for one, which was a disrobed and beaten female. And it was like, the pictures, the way they describe it, were in different stages of the beating. Mm -hmm. And that the beating was so bad that they were like, there's no way 
there's no way this person is still alive. Right. Like they were that bad. So Fitzpatrick talks about how he did a shot in the dark. Yep. And he kind of threw these photos out of this girl to the local places that he had no- known Floyd to have been. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was 1995, 19- Florida. On screen, it flashes to this. It goes to highway crew found skull. And four days of digging produced 90% of a skeleton along with a breast implant, clothing, and jewelry. And the skull had two bullet holes in the back of the head along with a broken orbital bone. It was immediately classified as um, a homicide, but they couldn't identify her. It's about a year later when Fitz sits all these pictures out and then it's 96 so yeah okay. yeah but i just had 95 was when they found the body the i didn't know yeah okay. yeah perfect um so 96 is when the detective i guess that was on that case he said that he saw the pictures and the exact shirt that was mm-hmm. kind of tied around her neck was the exact thing that they found with her body right the year prior um, and then it cuts back to heather lane and that was one of the other dancers at uh, Mons Venus. Right. And she talks about Cheryl showing up beaten and bruised and how Floyd was obsessed with Cheryl. Right. And he would call the club all the time and ask if Cheryl was working and what she was working and if she was still there and all that. And Heather claims that she would always tell him, oh, she's not here. She's gone. She's whatever. She said she tried to create as much separation between Floyd and Cheryl that she could right but unfortunately yeah um she did talk about one instance when she saw cheryl outside the club arguing with clarence and clarence flat out told clarence who is still floyd at this time he was named clarence was he clarence because i have warren no he was clarence hughes at no he was warren marshall oh well they say clarence i almost we'll have to double check wait i have it written down as warren okay well Warren and Cheryl, because remember, he was still going as her daddy at Mons Venus versus her husband. So, yeah, it would have been Warren arguing um, outside of the club. And he told Cheryl, then I'm going to kill you. Right. She said she actually got in between them and that he lurched the car at her. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to see where we are. And that was the last time that Heather saw Cheryl is what I have written down. Yeah. And I think that was right after all of that. Right after the last time she saw Cheryl is when they bolted. Mm-hmm. And the the babysitter talks about how Michelle somebody walked up, got out, went inside the house, a couple minutes later came back out, and then, like, the house explodes. Right. And that I find so interesting. That's, like, mafia-level stuff to me. Like, Well, it just goes to show either his ingenuity or his connections. True. If he's able to either get somebody to go back to Florida to set his house on fire or to blow it up, essentially, to hide evidence. Like, you have to have criminal I connections. In there. Is it, is, I guess that's where she was murdered. Yeah. I mean, because the pictures show him, because that's how... Oh, that's right. She identified... No? Yeah. Michelle identified the mattress that she was on as being the same mattress that was inside that trailer. So, yeah, that's probably where she was killed. That's true. And, and I, he had to get rid of it. Yeah. In hopes of Get, getting away with murder. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that you were correct. He would have been Warren then because 
Fitzpatrick talks about that's why they left Florida in such a hurry because there was speculation before that it was because the girls at Mon Venus were trying to get Sharon, Sharon away from him. Mm-hmm. But it's more likely that he had just killed Cheryl. Yeah. And they were trying to get the heck out of Dodge. And get some distance. Because mm-hmm. that's when, isn't that when? Yeah. Oh. So they would be looking for a man and a daughter and her child, not a wife and a child. So they stopped and got married. Right. Um, he was charged with the first degree murder of Cheryl Camesso. Um, I think that I have in my notes that at that point his, what is it? The response to that would be lethal injection. That's what he's looking at the death penalty. Death penalty, yeah. And this is where I have Michelle confirmed the photos. She said she was in that house like seven times a week. So like she knew. That mattress. That that dirty mattress is what she calls it. He was found guilty and sentenced to death based off Cheryl's murder. Right. And Fitz said that, you know, he was happy he couldn't hurt anyone else. That he was exactly where he wanted, he needed to be. And, but he still wanted to know where Michael's body was. And he still wanted to identify Sharon because yeah. at that point, he said he'd closed most of his cases. So it was kind of like unnerving him that he had these two two really big yeah. open spots. Like, where's Michael and who is Sharon? Right. And that's when you enter Matt Burbeck. Yep. And that's 2002. That's um, the year I graduated high school. He saw... I think someone sent him the picture. Yeah. And he just kind of. They sent him the picture off the Doe Network and it inspired him to look into the case, basically. Like this little girl. And what they're talking about is the picture of Sharon and Floyd Mm -hmm. when she was like five. five. So that picture. And he said it bothered him. Yeah, and that, that's the picture I think we have on the part one of our Facebook. Yeah, so it's going to be go, part two, too. You can see that when we have this up, just her little face is just unbelievably sad. Yeah. But he, he really wanted to know more, so he talked about meeting with Fitzpatrick. And he he wanted to meet with Fitzpatrick, and then he, he knew that if anybody had the answers, aside from Fitzpatrick, it's Floyd. Right. He held everything. He held the cards. And that he was like, you know, let's let's go see. Let's mm-hmm. see what Floyd is willing to say, if anything. Right. So he said that um, he went in there and that Freud came, Freud, <laughs> Floyd came in with all of his files. He was just, like, ready to start talking. He thought that Burbeck was his lawyer. No. He just thought he could help him. Yeah. Like tell his story, help That's him right. get he out of trouble. He thought he could do more for him than his lawyers. He yeah. thought that he'd be able to somehow, I don't know, finesse the story. I, I don't know what he was thinking. I think that's part of the issue with this man is there's there's a weird logic to it. Yeah. But it's not anything based in reality. Yeah. So, like, in his mind, this man come in here and write this story and not make me look like a bad guy. But why do you care? I mean, you're guilty of murder. Like, you're you're, you're going to die. But according to him, he didn't do nothing. And they don't have the evidence that I can't believe I'm sitting here. Like, that was a thing. That's just so... You literally took pictures. Right. But how do you know it was him that took the pictures? Fair. 
but they were found on your stuff. <laughs> right. It, it was Sharon. Now, I don't know if he ever did that, but I'm just saying he's one of those, like, does no wrong. Like, he, he can't, from what I can understand, accept any responsibility for anything that he does wrong or anything that he, any of his crimes. But anyway, go ahead. I'm interrupting No, story. you're fine. I, I immediately go to, it wasn't me. The Shaggy song, like, no matter what it is, it wasn't me. It's like, no, yeah, it was. Um, you go Great, you that's going to be in my head the rest of it. <laughs> um, so, uh, Matt, the author, um, is saying that Franklin Floyd, Floyd, why can't we say his name today? I don't know. Was born in 1943. His father died and that he had brothers and sisters. His mother couldn't take care of them. Mother sent the children to Georgia's Children's Baptist Home when Floyd was two years old. He had a troubled life. Um, and during this time in the documentary, they're playing actual audio from Floyd during the um, that interview process. That interview process. So I'm, I didn't write down word for word. Um, and one thing that did strike me was the author was like, I can see how he was made. Like, did, like yeah. how this monster was made, basically, and said that the, by the time he was 18 years old, he had true, real mental issues. Yeah. It doesn't excuse anything. No. It just, I think it gives, like, perspective almost. Like, yeah. not to alleviate anything that he did, but it does talk about, or he, I guess, talked about Floyd, that is, in the children's home about being beat and being raped Raped and and like that was a repeated process his whole life yeah like until he took off into the join the military mm -hmm. and he denies any crime any crime yeah from the beginning all the way to now like Like, he has never done anything wrong ever 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 he's the perfect person yeah and he matt's like i'm this there's nothing here like it's a ramblings of a madman almost like there's nothing he can give me. I have it here. I have it quoted here that, uh, Matt said, I didn't learn anything from Floyd other than he was psychotic. And that was it. Um, and he was very frustrated, uh, by the time the book came out because they still didn't know who Sharon was. Yeah. So he ended his book. I have like 2004 is when the beautiful child came out Mm -hmm. and a lot of people were very upset with him for not having her identity. Like they thought it was going to get to the end and they're going to know who this child is. And you're going to name her and you're going to know her story, but he didn't have that. He had her story or some of it, some of it, yeah. but he didn't, you know, but it did, um, spark a lot of conversation on the Doe network and web sleuths, both of which I'm a part of. Um, Never heard of the Doe Network. Well, it's just trying to identify people who don't have identities. Huh. You know. Um, And in 2005, he says he's got a break, and he gets an email that said, Would the DNA of Sharon's daughter help you? And enter in Megan. Sharon's birth daughter starts talking. Her name is Megan Dufresne. I don't, I'm probably butchering that. I'm sorry. And she discovered Matt's book when she was a junior in high school. And her aunt told her mother Mm -hmm. about it. And that she was very, she had a lot of anger and a lot of confusion. And, 
So now the documentary flashes to New Orleans, 1989, and that's when Megan was adopted, and it tells her adoption story. So um, Megan's bio mom says that she met with Sharon and... Not bio mom. No, I'm sorry. Adoptive mother. Yeah. That she met with Sharon and War- Floyd. I'm just calling him Floyd. That works. Um, and at an attorney's office. Yep. And that they had a baby they wanted to give up for adoption, but that he controlled the entire conversation. Yes. And he just wanted it over with. Like he was very just, he wanted the money and to be done. Yeah. It was very much transactional. Yeah. And six weeks later, Megan was born. The adoptive parents went to the hospital and the adoptive mother goes into Sharon's room and asks Sharon if she wants to see her. And she says, no, I can't. And adoptive mom questioned of why didn't she ask for help right then? And I, I'm the same. And the only thing I can figure is Michael wasn't here yet. This is her last. So yes. So Michael was here. So the only thing I can figure is Floyd had some, if you say anything, I'll kill him. Oh, if you do for this sure. or do that, like, and I'm sure he wasn't there, but I don't know. There had to be something because I've, I, I wondered the same thing when they talked about it. See, this, this bothers me so much because I've heard it in a lot of other podcasts and a lot of other things. None of us know what it's like to be raised by this man from no. the time of four years old. You don't know what kind of person you're going to be. You don't know how terrified you are. You probably witnessed him kill people or at least kill Cheryl. You watched him systematically beat Cheryl to death. Right. So you know what he's capable of in that fact. And, and you don't know what you. she's been inflicted to for years. So, yeah, I agree. I just... I don't know. And she has asked for help. So that's something that the documentary doesn't go into. And no, she never come out and said, hey, he's beating me. Help me. Yeah. But she does. She tries to run away twice. And again, not in documentary deep dive. I'm not going to go into too much detail here. I don't want to spoil it. But she does. She didn't get it. So you think at this point she was just resigned? Like, it's this is what I think is. she still wanted to get away. But after just giving birth. She's probably got, are they even going to believe me? Well, and I think overwhelming too. of just, you, you went through all of this and you're giving another baby away. Right. You know, as well as I do, when you give birth, your brain ain't right. No, no. You know, and you were talking about Megan and she, when you're talking about how she felt too, she even said, she's like, when she read the book, she got more mad. Yeah. And then she got sad, and then she got mad again, and she's not even sure what she's mad about other than just nobody should have to grow up like this. Grow up like that. Nobody should have to go through this. Mm-hmm. Nobody. This is horrible. Yeah. And um, so, but when Floyd entered the room of the hospital, he shut down yep. all conversation. Um, so Megan also said that she will pull up pictures of Sharon and Michael and compare herself. And she said the cheeks and the nose. And you can see it. Yeah, you it can. It shows you some of the photos and you can see the resemblance. Yeah, you can. Um, so in 2010 or 11, she gave DNA to find family. And um, 
Matt talks about the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children coming into the picture at that point. Yeah, and Ashley R. got a file, and she said it was really small, and that she was just kind of like, oh, crap. <laughs> Almost like, what, 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 what? where do I even start right. with this? Because there's nothing here. Like, again, Floyd had everything. Like, there was nothing. He... he Here's this whole thing has controlled every step. He kept everything close so that he was the only person that could give you anything that could, to, could steer you in either any way. And he wanted to keep the leverage that he had. Yeah, but I don't know. I just, I still, I don't understand him. So she reaches out to, um, I think she still talked to Fitzpatrick comes up a bunch. Like everybody kept talking to him and he wanted back in because at this point he was retired, but like he wanted to know, he wanted to know as well. Yeah. It was a, it was an open wound for him essentially. Like this is a case I didn't get to close, you know? Right. So I think he gave her a bunch of background information, but as far as they were having, they were going to do another shot at at, Floyd, at Floyd, uh, Fitzpatrick couldn't do it, so you entered two different agents that went in to see him. I have a Nate Fur and then Scott, Scott Lob or Loeb. Okay, they go in and they said their three main things were who is Sharon Marshall, what happened to Michael, and were you responsible for her death? Right, because that's never been answered. Yeah, he would not talk about Sharon. He didn't say anything that happened to Michael. Mm-mm. And then I don't even think he took anything about the death. He was, this is the people that he immediately got mad at because he thought that they were his attorneys. Yes, and they was just ranting for like 45 minutes yeah. before he even, they even got a chance to speak to him. Yeah. And he was like, um, Scott was like, we're not your attorneys. We're FBI agents. And he's like, he cocks his head back and he's like, Floyd cocks his head back and was like, oh, what do you want? And he's like, we're reopening the Michael Hughes investigation. And he looked at him and says, well, I'd appreciate you if you close it. And he's like, well, I'm not going to do yeah. that. Oh, okay. What is, oh, okay. And walk out. Right. Um, they questioned him for a while. And like, he, like I said, he wouldn't really say much of anything about anything they were asking him until they kind of touched on Michael. Mm-hmm. And I think it's Scott that told him. You wanted Michael to be the new Sharon. It was either Scott or Nate. And he, they, Scott is the one talking at this time. They're talking about, he started crying. Yeah. Big old crocodile tears. Like, just boo-hoo, you know, whatever. And when they, they oh, let me get this right. I think they asked him about it. And that's when he started crying. Mm-hmm. And then when he said you wanted him to be Your the new Sharon, Sharon, that's when all the crocodile tears immediately quit. And he said, I shot him in the back of the head. Well, twice. yeah, essentially, to make it real quick. Yeah. Um, so then the then it goes to Merle and Ernest uh, Bean, who are just probably two of the, the best people ever. And um, it's a news report about just them talking about losing Michael. And apparently they were very close in the adoption process of having him fully adopted. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of insult to injury because he was blossoming. He was becoming this, I mean, honestly getting the first shot he'd ever had at a childhood. Mm-hmm. So it's, 
sad. Yeah. He told the um, FBI that he had buried him at the Oklahoma-Texas border. They went out there and spent two days, and it shows that in the documentary. You see, like, a bunch of different people out there scouring this area. They've got, like, plots dug up, like, different areas, and they never found anything. Nothing. Not anything. And I know the FBI has the theory that he was essentially eating by wild hogs in the eaten by wild hogs in the area because they eat anything and everything okay. even down to the bone and they say typically they can't eat a skull but if he shot him in the back of the head that would have broken the skull enough for them to be able to like break it break it yeah see i stick with the theory that they he sold him like, I don't know that he killed him. Like, that's my theory that he did something with him. See, I was going to wait to the deed tab. <laughs> well, that's just my theory based off this, that yeah. he did something like that. And that's based off of the pictures. Because I think the pictures being left behind on the truck was another transactional thing. I do, too. Because that man kept everything so close. Yeah. I just don't see him parting right. with these ne trophies to him. Because mm -hmm. that's what they were. Right. And... I just, I just don't see him letting those go. Not without a price. Now, my, I'll just tell you this. My dad is former military OSI stuff, mm -hmm. and I was talking to him about this case, and the only thing that he pointed out that I thought was interesting that our listeners might find interesting is he claimed that may, my dad said that maybe the photos were taped there as a way that if he got stopped and searched for some reason— they wouldn't be located. And that's quite possible. So It's if, a very criminal way to think. Right. Well, my dad did yeah, a lot well, of dealt with criminals. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so he was like that. He could see them doing something like that. Yeah. And I hadn't thought about it till he brought it up, and I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. It could be. I think it's very unlikely that he accidentally left them. No. I think that might be where he transported them or stuck them there for the purpose of a transactional thing. Like, you can go pick those up. And like the house all over again, go blow it up, but go yeah. take those. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It's a possibility. It's probable. Yeah. It's more than just possible. It's probable, you know? So, so the, back to the documentary, the FBI guys are talking to him and this man again, loved to talk about himself. So he just starts chit chatting and talking about how, did he grow up in terrible? No, he didn't grow up in Cherryville. That um, he grew up in Georgia. So he was working. He was working in Cherryville, North Carolina. And talking about how he was the best bus driver that ever was, and he was so good looking, and all this stuff. Yeah, he drove the best of the best bus. Nobody drove a bus like him. Yeah, I'm like, how how much? No, nope, we ain't doing that. <laughs> no, nope, keep moving. I mean, how much does that give you, like truthfully? Like... I mean, it's just a star for him. He's got to be the best at everything, and that goes back to the that doesn't matter. <laughs> He's got to go back. That goes back to his narcissism. If he was the best drug addict ever, which I do believe that he did drugs, but that's a different situation. Yeah. And that's when he met Sandy. And one of the officers actually asked him at that time, well, what, what was the name you were going by during that time? And he said, Brandon Cleo Williams. So they added that to his aliases. Right. And I'm trying to figure out exactly how, maybe yours are a little bit clearer than, oh, no. It's all me. Um, I mean, I remember stuff. Let me look. Well, so they were able to go back and find 
this Sandy that they were talking about at that point. That because he, you know, he told them that Sandy had girls taken from the state. He also told them that's how they figured it out. So he said he was Brandon Cleo Williams. They asked him, he told him that he got married Mm -hmm. in Michigan is what I have in here. Does that sound right to you? Livonia, Michigan? I got no idea. Um, Because when I tell you these people went everywhere and did everything in all these states, I can't keep up with all the states. But yes, okay. I think he told him he got married. They asked him who he got married to. He tells them it was a Sandra uh, Brandenburg. And then it cuts to mom. Yes. And you get to actually see Sharon's mother. Sharon's mother. Who, by the way, her name is Suzanne, Suzanne Saveka said this. Now, it's time to reveal who she actually was. Her name, her birth name was Suzanne Savekas. Yes. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Well, the FBI agents go to mom. Yeah, and she, they, she said they showed up at her door with a picture. And she was like, yes, that's, that's my... Um, Suzanne, like, do you know where she's at? And they had to tell her, you know, she's died, she's passed away. And it starts telling her story. So she talks about meeting um, her her actual husband, which would be Suzanne's dad. Right. Cliff Savickas. And she was a Sandra Willett, I think, at that time mm-hmm. before she got married. And they were smitten. They were high school sweethearts. And she got pregnant um, when she was 18, 19, they got married right out of high school. She was extremely excited to have Suzanne, like, very, you know, ready. Dad actually got sent to Vietnam. Um, he didn't even get to meet Suzanne until she was six months old. Right. He he talks about being just very proud and a proud papa kind of moment and just very much loving her. But that Vietnam had changed him. Yeah, and he was super young. And he was super young. Um, when he got back from Vietnam, that's when he found out that Sandra was seeing another man and she was pregnant. I have with Allison and Amy, so they must be twins. Twins. But or that it, there's no clarity there. It's really not. So she back to mom talks about how she moved Allison and Amy and Suzanne into a mobile home park. And that and then it, she just says the tornado came out of no the tornado came out of nowhere and that kind of threw me in the documentary because I'm, so like, I'm like what what <laughs> we just cut to the trailer park like what what and that ever it flipped their trailer on the side yeah and after that happened she just had like PTSD yeah she wasn't okay which I don't know that she was okay before that happened but that's center of the age I don't think it's fair to blame that tornado because um, <laughs> I think that there was issues before then. But whatever. What did I just say? (laughs) What did I just say? I said. (laughs) You said it nicer. Um, So she said she went to. Yeah, I said it nicer because I'm always accused of being mean. (laughs) Yes. But let's not be unjust to the tornadoes. So she went to social services because she said it's it's irritating the way she does this because she says, I went to social services because I thought that's what you did when you needed help. But in the same breath, she says, I told them. They're not safe with me. I can't take care of them. And then she seems shocked that social services stepped in and took the children. Like, she seems like those two things don't go hand in hand. But you, you, if you had went and said, I needed help, I think it would have like been I need different. housing. I need food. I need a way to take care of I my children. I need mental health counseling, right. something like that. But to simply say, they're not safe with me. 
I can't take care of them. And then being shocked just kind of, I think, speaks to her. Um, it cuts back to dad. Dad says that he was told by social services, you either, the girls are all attached, so you have to take all three, or I'm putting them all in the system. He said at that time he was he was young. He was twenty three. He was drinking a lot. He was living with his parents. He, was he had PTSD. He was unemployed and he was like, I just didn't feel like I could be a parent at that time. Right. So I I told him no. Yeah. Cuts back to Sandra. I don't I feel a certain type of way about her. She's talking about how she's sitting in church and she's crying and she's all upset and that's when Floyd strolls in and says, God sent me. We will get your kids. We will get married and we'll just make it all better. Yeah. And if you listen to our free for all Friday, last Friday, that's why I said, be careful about meet people at church. <laughs> Cause this messed me up. I can't right now. I because can't. that just bothered me. Like, yes, absolutely. You, you, no, I just, and then Sandra starts talking about how, when they were together, it doesn't really give a timeline. It doesn't give it a timeline. It makes it sound like one Sunday he strolled in and was like, let's get married. And she's like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they went and got married. Right. And she got her kids back. Yeah. Um, she said that when they got married, he started doing lots of scary things, quote unquote. That's what she said. He did a bunch of different things. He carried a knife all the time. She said he threatened her. You think you're going to leave me? That's not going to happen. That kind of stuff. She said that the girls needed diapers. And she went to 7-Eleven, and she wrote a bad check. Right. So she got 30 days in jail. Right. It was during that time that Floyd took Allison and Amy and dropped them off at a orphanage. orphanage and took off with Suzanne. Right. And she said when she got out, she went to the police and was, like, telling them that this stuff happened. She says that they told her, are you legally married? Mm-hmm. And she said yes. And they said, that's a civil matter. You're going to have to take it up with the court. She said she got louder, and they escorted her out of the police department. And I don't know what the law was back in the 70s. That could have legitimately been the thing, because a lot of that's changed. So I don't know. I don't know. I know you cannot do that now, unless you have legally adopted the child. I don't believe her. I mean, that's fine. I don't think that she made any due diligence to do anything with any of those children. Okay. Um. Because I think she had her own set of issues. Yes. And she may have went like, hey, he took off. And they were like, well, you need to follow maybe these steps. And she chose not to do that. Yeah, but I can also totally see. I'm sorry. I hate to say this. But them being like, not our problem. You're married. Not my, not our problem. I agree. And I would. I agree. Except for the bio, the adopted mother of Megan actually was trying to find Megan's family for her. Like yeah. Megan really had a desire to do that. Mm-hmm. And they reached out to grandma, mm-hmm. Sandra, and she had no interest whatsoever in anything re- remotely dealing with her. Okay. She wanted no part of that. And I just feel like that has been her stance a hundred percent. Okay. But she did find Allison and Amy. She found the other two girls. Yeah. but mm. So it goes back to Matt and he's talking with Megan um, about, updating the headstone for remember from at this point it still says tanya yeah just tanya so he's wanting to update it he wanted to speak with megan and get her input as to what do you want it to say Mm -hmm. so the new headstone was i think it happened in i don't have it but it was like 
Way later. 2015, I want to say. I have 17, so that makes me feel a little better. Yeah. I have 6317, the new headstone, and it has Suzanne, I think it's Marie Savekes, devoted mother and friend. And everybody talked about how, at this point in the documentary, just how much she was a light. Yes. That she was just a good person that really, even her daddy, when they talked to him and he's given what he knows, he just said from what he's heard, she truly tried to make the best of the absolute worst. Yeah. Like even in all this stuff she went through for all this year, all, all these years, she truly wanted, she just tried her best to make it the best. Yep. Despite it. And that is beautiful, but so heartbreaking at yes. the same time. Yeah. And then, the part that got me is they said that she was so giving, she was so full of love, and she didn't even know who she was. I know. Like, she didn't even know. And that... That'll make you want to cry. Yeah. Um, and then, the, if that doesn't, this will. Oh, God, <laughs> here end, we go. You get you get to see Megan again, and she talks about how she hopes to be half of what her mother was and the fact of every full of love and wanting to do that kind of thing and being the mother that she thinks her mother would want it to have been. Yeah. Had she been given or tried to be. Yeah. Yes. She named, she had a little boy and she named her little boy, Michael after her brother. Um, it shows it's during the funeral part that you get all of this information. You even get to hear from grandpa who very clearly has guilt like yeah. bio dad yeah, or Suzanne. Suzanne very clearly has guilt. Cause he, he says in the documentary that he doesn't get to talk to Suzanne and he doesn't get to see her, but he gets to see Megan mm -hmm. and gets to be a part of Megan's. Yeah. And that's why I don't got nothing for mama. <laughs> I know it's okay. <laughs> but, and then I think it just kind of wraps up and it does. And when we talk about a wild ride, that is a wild ride. Um, so Coffee Breakers, our next week, what we're planning currently is our True Crime Wednesday is to do a deep dive. This is what I like to call the Cliff Notes version of this story. Um, there's actually a lot more to it. Yeah. And we still... We still don't know what happened to Michael. We know nothing about Michael. There's, there's still... The only person who knew that was Floyd. Right. And he took that to his grave because he's dead now. Yes, he is dead. Um, Not well, by lethal injection. Though. No, he died of natural causes prior to that. Yeah, but sure. still in prison. Yeah. Um, but I, I've got both of Matt, Matt's books and I'm almost through one of them now. Yeah. And then... I'll do the next one, and I've listened to so many different podcasts on this story, um, and news reports, and reading, and all that. So I'm going to give you the deep dive, all the details, nitty gritty. Um, yeah, and there's a lot more that this documentary did not. When, when talking with you, did not cover. No, it's the cliff notes. Like you get it's the highlights. Like a bad version of cliff notes to me. Like I feel like it doesn't. It's there's the, so much. It, well, there's just so much to it, and I don't know what their budget was. I'm glad the story's out there. You know, I'm glad that they did the documentary, but yeah. there's just so much to it. Like they, it could have been a series. Yeah, it, this is like a C paper. <laughs> <laughs> no, if it's Netflix. 
<laughs> no, you should take offense because I feel like you do more on other ones like that. There's so much. And I think our, our listeners will get that when you start coming in with everything you got. Yeah. So if you haven't watched it, go to Netflix. If you have Netflix and watch um, Girl in the Picture mm-hmm. and just get ready for the deep dive. And then you will see the vast difference of timelines and information and how things unfolded and this was completely left out of the documentary but to me very pertinent and yeah like big sections were left out yeah and that's the part i just that's why i'm like no this is a c paper okay maybe this is a d documentary now when you watch the documentary you think it's actually good until you get down into the the deep dive and then you're like oh crap yeah there's so much more but coffee breakers we just want to say Thank you. This is this episode is dropping the day after our third month anniversary mm-hmm. um, for the podcast, and we're super excited, and we just love you all, you guys, so much. So, if you like what you're hearing, hit that subscribe, follow, whatever it is button yes. on your platform of choice. We're available on Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts iHeartRadio. We have a website that can be found on our Facebook page. Hey, you can follow us on Facebook, the Twitter, Instagram, and the TikTok. Yeah, we've got our six new followers today, actually. On on the TikTok. And I was very, very excited about that. We're trying to get... I'd like to get us to a 1,000. So if you're not already following us on TikTok, please go follow us because that way we can do our lives. And that's some stuff we had talked about for the future. Maybe doing a live... Broadcast. Broadcast of our... Recording section. Yeah, absolutely. Still working on the YouTube channel. We have a YouTube channel. You can go ahead and go subscribe. It's under Take a Coffee Break and Chill uh, podcast. Um, And, you know, our our big hope is to entertain and give you guys quality content, but also tell some of these stories. We got, we're highlighting small businesses and content creators on Mondays. Wednesdays is for our true crime and Fridays are our free for alls. And so we got a little bit of everything for everybody. Yeah. So just want you to know we love you guys and we appreciate your support so much. Until Friday. Bye.